On October 16th, 1987, the eyes of the world were all focused in on little Midland, Texas. You see, two days earlier, little 17-month-old Jessica McClure was playing in the backyard of her aunt's house. And, and as her mother walked inside to answer a, a telephone, uh, little Jessica managed to fall into an abandoned well. And she became lodged in an 8-inch well casing 22 feet below the ground. As you can imagine, once her, her mother found her and uh, attempted to do something and then called for help, uh, it began the process of, of uh, just an intensive rescue effort. And over the next two days, rescue workers spent their time digging uh, a rescue shaft parallel to the well and eventually digging over to free little Jessica. And after 58 hours of being trapped in the well, paramedics carried little Jessica safely out of the rescue shaft and she was transported to the hospital. As news initially spread about uh, her plight, uh, the whole community began to focus in on this rescue effort and, and that it continued just to grow and pretty soon the entire nation was following the story and pretty soon the world and the whole world watched to see if Jessica was still alive. And they watched to see if rescue workers would be able uh, to dig a shaft down and be able to get over and manage to get this little girl out of this well and bring her to safety. This, like many other stories, uh, just reemphasize the fact that we love a good drama, right? We're drawn to stories of heroic rescue. <laughs> Oftentimes we dream of being the hero. And we all are in a drama, right? Our lives are a drama. And yet the sad reality is that in our drama, we are much more like little Jessica than we'd like to admit. You see, we're, we're trapped and trouble is brewing. Over the past couple of weeks in this series, we've covered some big topics, right? As we're looking at the doctrinal statement and, and what are all these things, right? We, we've covered some big things, right? We start out with who God is. Right? And then we, we jump from that little topic or what, what do we believe about the Bible, right? How we learn about God. What do we, what do we believe about the Word of God? And we talk about sin and specifically our sinful nature. And then last week we talk about who Jesus is. If you add that all up, it, it doesn't look very good for us, right? Do you follow this, right? A holy God who by his nature executes justice, plus sinful people who by our nature rebel against the holy God, equals a tough spot, Right? Uh, and and if, if I'm being honest with you, I'd say it's a, a, a lot worse than being trapped in an 8-inch well casing 22 feet below the ground. You see, we're like Jessica. We are trapped. We're stuck and we have no hope to free ourselves. We find ourselves in a place where all our options have been explored, all our resources exhausted without hope. That's the reality we face. 
That's the truth that God's world reveals to us. So have a great rest of your weekend. Right? <laughs> that would be horrible if that was all there was, right? And yet the amazing good news is there is something more. There's something greater than we can fully comprehend. And that's where we come tonight. The doctrinal statement that we're going to be looking at tonight is, is really the crux of the Christian faith. This is, this is central to, to what we believe. It's the hope that we have. And it's all about the work of Christ. Let me read uh, this doctrinal statement to you. It's the work of Christ. We believe that Jesus Christ is our representative and substitute shed His blood on the cross as the perfect all-sufficient sacrifice for our sins. His atoning death and victorious resurrection constitute the only ground for salvation. We're going to spend some time just digging into this. What does it mean? Trying to understand what the work of Christ means for us. What is it that we believe about this? And as we do that, I just want to invite you to pray with me. As we dive into God's Word, that He would teach us tonight, that He would show us more of who He is, and that we would, we would walk away understanding the Gospel. Would you pray with me? Father God, we thank You for Your Word. And we thank You that You have, you have given us hope. And although we, we understand the, the hopelessness that, that we bring to the table, we also recognize uh, the goodness of who You are. And we recognize uh, what an amazing God you are. And Jesus, we just pray that as we, uh, as we dive into your word, that you would show yourself to us. That you would speak to our hearts. And we would see you. We ask this in your name. Amen. So we look at the cross. Right? The, the whole of scripture points to the cross. The cross is central to our faith. Right? All of the Old Testament looks ahead to the cross, and, and all of us since then look back to the cross. And we see it starting right off the bat in the garden. Genesis 3.15 is, is God is talking with Adam and Eve and the serpent after uh, they, they broke His laws, they sinned, and as He's dealing with them, and He says, to the servant, he, he says, he will crush your head, but you will strike his heel. Referencing the fact that, that Satan is going to attack mankind, but ultimately pointing to the cross where Satan will be defeated. So right from the beginning, we see this in the beginning of God's word pointing to the cross. Another, that next we come to the Passover, and as uh, the Israelites are enslaved in Egypt, and Moses is there, uh, and God sends Moses to bring them out, and, and he initiates the Passover. And after all the plagues, culminating with the death of the firstborn son, and the Israelites are given the command to sacrifice a lamb, and to take its blood and brush it on their doorposts. And then as the angel of the Lord came over and he saw the blood, as he saw the sacrifice, he passed over. Again, an imagery that helps us, points us to the cross of when God would pass over because of a sacrifice. 
And those sacrifices continue as we, the whole sacrificial system is then God gives the law through Moses to His people. And you can read pretty much the entire book of Leviticus explaining how the, the Israelites were to come to the temple and make sacrifices. And God would accept that sacrifice on their behalf to make them right with Him, that He could make them holy people, make them His people, that He would dwell among them. And that whole process of the sacrifice where the priest would slaughter animals. And it paints an appropriate picture of the severity of our sin. Can you imagine laying your hands on an animal's head as the priest cuts its throat and kills the animal? Recognizing as you're laying your hands on it that this animal is dying in your place. The animal didn't do anything wrong. It's your sins. The animal's killed for you. And again, as we continue to read through the Old Testament, we'll jump ahead to the prophets. And the prophets foretold about Jesus, the Messiah coming to take away the sins of the world. And when we look at Isaiah 53... Starting in verse 5, and it's pointing to the one who would be sacrificed for us. It's by his wounds that we're healed. That he went to the cross, that he was slaughtered willingly. The whole Bible points to the cross. Because we have a problem. We're sinful by nature. We've rebelled against God. We're enemies of God, and we need to be reconciled. So we have the work of Christ and we have the cross. And oftentimes you get the question, why the cross? Right? Why is our, our faith tied to a symbol of death and torture and execution? Right? Why do we celebrate that? Why do we paint pictures of that? Why, why do some people wear it on their neck? Why do we, why do we celebrate this, you know, a medieval torture device? Why? Because something incredible happened on the cross. You remember uh, the discussion from last week. If you weren't here, uh, we covered the, the, the nature of who God, who Jesus is, right? Both God and man, right? If if Jesus had simply been man, if he had simply been a really good man, then the cross would have just been a death like any other, right? Where a good man died, and we're sad to see him die so young. Leaving a legacy, but, but nothing more. On the other hand, if, if Jesus had been simply God, then the cross couldn't have harmed Him. But we combine them together and we get the greatest act of love the world has ever known. That God came to earth and became man. And Jesus, being both God and both man, went to the cross as a sacrifice for us. The greatest act of love. And because love requires an action, right? Real love uh, achieves some purpose. It's not just flashy words. It's not just some grand gesture. It accomplishes something. 
James Denny, a Bible scholar, painted a picture this way. He said, if, if a man were to go to a pier and fling himself into the water while yelling, I love you, world, then the world would look at him and, and conclude that he's just some madman or lunatic as he sinks to his death. But in that same picture, if some man were to go to a pier and fling himself off in order to save a drowning person and in the process died, then he would be a hero. And so Jesus' death on the cross isn't just some grand gesture of, look it, I'm, I'm willing to, to be beaten and die. But God's love accomplished something on the cross. And what we call what Jesus accomplished in our place on the cross is the atonement. That Jesus accomplished something. He, he made us right with God. He dealt with our sin problem on the cross. So quickly, would you go back with me to the start? Again, as we, we discussed it a couple of weeks ago as we were going through this, that we have a sin problem. Right? We'll go through this rather quickly. Romans 3.23 All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Romans 5.12 When Adam sinned, sin entered the world. Adam's sin brought death, so death spread to everyone, for everyone sinned. No amount of good works. It's not knowing the right people. Nothing like that is going to get us there. It's not going to add up. All our options have been explored. All our resources have been exhausted. We needed someone to do something for us that we were incapable of doing ourselves. We were separated from God because of our sin. There's a holy God and sinful man and we could not meet. And so we have the cross. We have the atonement. Jesus, our perfect, all-sufficient sacrifice, coming to rescue us. And as we understand the atonement, as we understand what Jesus accomplished on the cross, that He stood in our place, He took the punishment we deserved, He, He represented us on the cross. The Bible paints all, uses all sorts of imagery, all, all different examples to help us understand, help us grasp what he did. He used examples of a courtroom, of, of slavery, of, of family relationships, of war. And in, in, uh, on the study guide, if you want to go online and download the study guide, you can explore some of those and dig into those a little bit deeper. And I would encourage you, there's small groups doing that, I would encourage you uh, to do that, to dive into God's Word and understand the fullness of what God did. But today I want to look into just one of the examples that we see in Scripture, and that's Christ is our high priest. I want to invite you to turn with me to Hebrews chapter 9. And you can turn to page 924 uh, in the, the chair Bible there. But the author of Hebrews uh, uses this example of the high priest to help us understand, help us uh, understand the fullness of what Jesus did on the cross. So starting in verse 11. So Christ has now become the high priest over all the good things that have come. 
He has entered that greater, more perfect tabernacle in heaven, which was not made by human hands and is not part of this created world. With His own blood, not the blood of goats and calves, He entered the most holy place once for all time and secured our redemption forever. Under the old system, the blood of goats and bulls and the ashes of a young cow could cleanse people's bodies from ceremonial impurity. Just think how much more the blood of Christ will purify our consciences from sinful deeds so that we can worship the living God. For by the power of the eternal Spirit, Christ offered Himself to God as a perfect sacrifice for our sins. That is why He is the one who mediates a new covenant between God and people so that all who are called can receive the eternal inheritance God has promised them. For Christ died to set them free from the penalty of the sins they had committed under the first covenant. You see, the author of Hebrews uses this imagery of the high priest to help us understand what Christ did. Right? In contrast to the law, we, we saw as it, it, with the Passover and with the sacrificial uh, system of Israel, that all of those sacrifices prescribed under the law, none of them were complete. None of them could make us fully right with God. And they were continual year after year. Uh, day after day, there were sacrifices being made in the temple because day after day, year after year, the people sinned and the people walked away from God. Year after year, sacrifices were made. Because, like we talked about earlier, that all of those sacrifices were just pointing ahead. That God was choosing to look over their sins and allow their sins to be placed on something else in anticipation of what was to come. On the other hand, we have Jesus. He came and He accomplished what God said in the garden. And He defeated Satan. He came and became the ultimate Passover lamb. He became our high priest. He fulfilled all what the prophet said. When once and for all time, He offered a perfect sacrifice that secured our redemption forever. The high priest would have to go into the temple and offer first offer sacrifice for their own sins. The high priests were, were, were humans just like us. They were fallen. They were in need of a Savior. They were in need of sacrifices. And so first they would cleanse themselves through sacrifice, and then they would offer sacrifices on behalf of the people. And yet as Jesus went to the cross, uh, He was perfect. He did what we couldn't do. He came and lived a perfect life, upholding the law perfectly. And so as He came, He was the perfect sacrifice spotless, without blemish, without fault. And He willingly went to the cross. We needed to be rescued. And God stepped in. He stepped into our world. 
He did what we couldn't do. He lived a perfect life and willingly went to the cross. And on the cross, He satisfied the judgment of a holy God against sin. And on the cross, God poured out His wrath against sin on Jesus. And Jesus stood in our place and He took the punishment that I deserved. He took the punishment that we deserved and He took it upon Himself willingly as a sacrifice. He bore my pain. He bore my guilt. He bore my weaknesses. And why? Why is it that God would do that? Why would God step down? Why would God send His Son to do that? Look look at how that passage in Hebrews ends. So that all who are called can receive the internal inheritance God has promised them. Christ died to set you free. It's that act of love that we can't comprehend. Right? That God would willingly go to the cross for us when we were His enemies. That God would willingly be beaten. That God would willingly become a human and live a life on earth and subject Himself to all that we deal with. But do it perfectly in order to rescue us. Why? Because He loves us. And it's one of those things we can't comprehend, right? How, how, how could a God love us that way? Like, I'm not deserving of being loved like that. And yet God loved me. Not because I'm lovable. Right? Lots of you know me and I'm not always that lovable. And yet God loved me. It's not because we deserve it. But God loved us because of who He is. God loved us. And rescued us. He wanted to set us free. So that all who are called can receive the eternal inheritance God has promised them. Have you received that promise? Have you been set free? Are you still trapped and hopeless? With resources exhausted, without hope, waiting for someone to rescue you? Or have you placed your hope in what Jesus has done for you? Have you placed your hope in the fact that Jesus did what we could never do? That Jesus accomplished on the cross what what we failed to do? That He did it all. 1 Corinthians 15 Two through four, Paul writing to the, the, the church in Corinth says this it is it is this good news that saves you. If you continue continue to believe the message I told you, unless of course you believe something that was never true in the first place, or unless you never believed it in the first place, I passed on to you what was most important. And what has also been passed on to me, Christ died for our sins, just as the scripture said. He was buried. He was raised from the dead on the third day, just as the Scripture says. That is the Gospel. That is the good news. That is the hope that we have. Our hope is in what Jesus did for us. 
As followers of Jesus, we must say this again and again and again and again. The gospel is our only hope. The gospel is our hope. And if you are are still without hope, if you are searching for hope, this is it. It's not about fixing up your life and making everything perfect and and hoping that you get everything in, in order so that you can... Make a good case for yourself. The hope is this, that Jesus has done it all. And He did it to set us free because He loves us. That is our hope. This is the center. This is why we follow Jesus, because He has chased after us and He's invited us to come. And so we place our hope in Him and we chase after Him. That is who we are as followers of Christ. We look to the gospel. We should never get tired of the gospel. It's not the the basics and we need to move beyond it. This is it. That Jesus did what we couldn't do and we placed our hope in Him. The gospel is our only hope. That's what we believe. And if you're still wrestling with that, I would encourage you. This is it. It's simple. But it's an amazing truth. As we close now, I want to just invite you to stand and pray with me. As we thank God for the hope that we have. That Jesus did it all. That His work on the, on the cross was enough. And was perfect. was the ultimate sacrifice. And thank you. Father God, we thank you for the cross. We thank you in, in what seems like such a simple story. You did what we could never do. You accomplished what we could never accomplish. You dealt with our sin once and for all on the cross. And as our high priest, you set us free. Jesus, may we never get tired of the cross. May we never make light of the cross. But may our our heart, may our eyes always be on You, thanking You for what You accomplished for us. And Jesus, if if there are those in this room that that are still wrestling with who You are and what You've done, God, I pray that You would just uh, awaken their heart to You. Jesus, may they not leave this place without talking to someone to understand the hope that we have in You. Jesus, we thank You and we love You. Amen.